socialism, and uh, this has been a fun series, but we are going to, we're transitioning out, so we'll have this one, and then next week we start a new series. Uh, we do this in the summer. We dive deep. Uh, we take a book of the Bible, and we uh, go into it, and we study a, a book of the Bible for a few weeks. Uh, this year, we're going to go into the book of Jonah. Uh, so I, t- I did a message a few weeks ago uh, that pulled from the book of Jonah, and uh, I said in that message, this deserves a series. So uh, we're going to start a series next week. Uh, you want to be here for the beginning of uh, the series Jonah. But today, let's finish out this series. with Our theme verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. So we use this word essentialism. And the reason why, and I, I've preached this message five times, and I've done it twice, so it's, I feel like I repeat myself, but I want to make sure that y- maybe you think I'm repeating myself. you got to get this. You are essential to the body of Jesus Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You are essential. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what people say. You are not a non-essential worker. You are essential to the kingdom of God. So that's what we've been talking about. I've been discussing this. We've been going through this. So I, I want you to grab that. And we've talked about elements of our lives that are essential. So there are things in our life that we need that need to be into our life. Essentially, they, they are the things that cannot, op, we can't operate as followers of Christ if we don't have these in our lives, these understandings. We've talked about our work. We've talked about uh, being leaders. This week, we're going to dive into what I believe is I say the best for last. Well, I would have said last week, I would have said that was the best. The week before that, I would have said that was the best one. Uh, if I ever get up here and say this isn't the best one, I probably shouldn't be up here, and you probably shouldn't be there or there. So <laughs> we, this is, though, this is, this, is, this is the most important one, so pay attention. You need this. But I talk about this every week. So I'm going to talk about something I mention almost every single week. I'm going to dive into a full-on whole message about this one piece and it's uh ecclesiastics uh is in your notes there it says uh here's uh well let me read i'll start off and then we'll give you some context it says i observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun so if you want to have fun or no if you want to be really depressed read the book of ecclesiastics and so if you read this book you'll find that it's written by king solomon and he's on this journey as he's reading through the book he goes through it, and he's like, he, he keeps saying this, this t- thing, this one line. It's meaningless. It's all just meaningless. <laughs> and here he, he tells a story of something else that he has found under the sun that is meaningless. And this is the case of a man who is all alone, who without child or a brother yet works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Now, a lot of scholars will tell you that he wasn't examining someone else's life, but he was self-examining his life. And it's interesting because if you know the context of what he's saying here, he's saying, I, I, I examined a man who was all alone. But Solomon was surrounded by hundreds of of people all the time. He had dozens of wives, hundreds of concubines. He had people around him all the time, but yet he found himself alone. 
This, this happens to us. We'll find ourselves constantly in crowds, especially in a church atmosphere. We'll come to church surrounded by people. Dozens and dozens of people are all around us, but yet we're still all alone. And he says, that's meaningless. I, what, what, what are you striving for? What are you working for? What are you, what are you giving up all that for? And, and it, I, the question is, then, what, why would you work all alone? There's a couple reasons why we would work alone. The first one is that we're unaware. We're unaware of the benefit of relationships. We're unaware that the Bible tells us that you can't do, be a follower of Christ and do it alone. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't work. You are part, you are essential part of the body of Christ. You, the hand can't operate without the elbow. That's the example that, that Paul gives us. This is, we just, we're just unaware that this is the truth of scripture. And he, here's the thing. I, I, uh, I have, uh, I love having this discussion with, uh, with men. Because men are typically the ones who will come to me and say, I love Jesus, but I hate church. Okay, let's, let's dive into that. What, what do you mean by that? What do you mean that you love Jesus, but you hate church? When, and it'll come down to a point where I don't like being around, and this is usually what they'll say, around a bunch of fake people. And they'll say something along those lines, and then they'll add this. I feel the presence of God when I'm all by myself in a tree stand totally relate there's nothing like being out in the woods there's being out in the woods and there's no, no no noise except for that squirrel who sounds like a deer like how does that little body sound like a huge deer tromping through the woods i don't that doesn't make any sense to me but there, there is nothing like being at that and i know that there is the presence of god is there but the bottom line is you can't do what god's called us to do all alone he wants us to be living in a supernatural way and the only way for us to be fully functional as followers of jesus christ is if we're connected to the body of christ another reason why we might do it and this is the excuse that i get a lot well it's just not my personality and this one is like the, the, the people think well you can't you can't do anything about this one you, you it's just how i am this is how i it's how i feel and <laughs> We, we operate on our feelings a lot, don't we? And, and this, this is one where I, well, I'm just more of an introvert. And he, here's a crazy, this, you won't, many of you won't believe me. In fact, after I said this in the first service, a guy came up to me and goes, yeah, I, I don't believe it. But the truth is, I'm an introvert. My, my, uh, we, we misunderstand what an extrovert and an introvert are. Uh, basically, I'm an introvert because I get my energy by being alone. An extrovert gets their, their energy from being with people. There, there's a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm just done with people. i just done. I just need to be away from people. I need, I need my time to re-energize myself. But I've learned that I need to operate in ability to communicate with other people to be functional. So I take lots of energy drinks and get all jazzed up, ready for you guys. This is why, this is... <laughs> But no, I, I understand there are times where you need to be alone, but again, you cannot depend on yourself alone. Third thing that will keep us from, uh, that will keep us working alone is fear. And majority of the time, the fear goes like this. What if they find out my flaw? Or flaws, plural. What if they, if, if I let people in too close, they'll know who I am and, and where I'm struggling. 
And this is, the truth is, the closer you get to somebody, the more flaws you will see. You ever see those big makeup mirrors? My wife has one in the bathroom. One side's normal, and then you flip it around, and you look into it, and it scares the living daylights out of you that there's, like, a moon on your face, like the craters that are there. Because the closer you get to it, the more the flaws you will see. This is, this is what happens. And here's the problem, is we think, we put expectations on other people that they're perfect, so we assume that they must be judging me because I'm not. The truth is, everyone has flaws. Everybody has issues. Everybody has an issue. You have an issue, I have an issue, and if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. We all have issues. And the pro this is why we, the Authentic Church is named Authentic Church, because the truest form of authenticity means you just might be wrong. Or it's okay not to be okay. Third, uh, fourth one is you get past jerks. I didn't know how else to write this. I was like, how do I, how do I in one word, put this? No, past jerks. We've, we've, there, all of us, or some of you, maybe not all of us, but a majority of us have had somebody in our life where we've let down our guard enough that they found out our flaw and then they exploited it against us. And it hurt and it caused damage, but now we're letting something in our past determine how God's going to use us in the future. Fifth thing that keeps us from doing this is we're just too busy. The truth of this is we're selfish. I'm so involved in my own life that I don't have time to be involved in somebody else's. So we allow these things to keep us, to keep us working all alone, and we have to understand we are vital. We need to understand that God wants to do something in our lives that we're not supposed to be meaning, living meaningless lives that are depressing, but we, can, we want to be living out the fullness that God has for us, but we can't do it alone. In fact, my, one of my favorite biblical accounts is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, it says, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his, fa his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree of uh, Mig Migron. Now, he, let me give you context, because when you study the Bible, you need to study it in what? Context. The most important piece of studying the Bible is that you study it in context. Second most important way to study the Bible is in what? There you go. Come on, all you online. The third most important, even if you've never watched before, you're going to get this one right. The third most important piece of studying the scripture is you study in? Come on, you people in here need to be louder. I heard them better than I heard you. <laughs> we... Context. So let me give you some context. So last week we talked about that the, there was a, a period of time during the prophets that God spoke to, to leaders in Israel to speak to the nation of Israel. That, so he took an individual, he made them, put them in a position of a prophet and spoke through them to the nation. And that was the way that it was supposed to work. But they looked around, Israel as a nation looked around at all the other nations and said, hey, we want to look like them. They've got a king, we want a king. So he said, no, you don't want a king. That's not what you want. But they kept begging for a king. And so God said, that's not what you want, but I'll let you have what you want, What should teach us something. Stop praying for what you want, because God just might give it to you. Start praying for what, God, what you need. God, give me what I need. 
So, he, they, so finally he, he goes, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. Of course, God can redeem all this. In fact, he redeems it through Jesus Christ as a lineage from, G, from the, the, the lineage of David. But So they give it, the first king is Saul. And Saul is the, is the king here. He's the first king, and they're still trying to figure out how we operate as, as a kingdom with a king. And so they, they're, they're figuring this all out, and they, their arch nemesis at this point is the Philistines. The Philistines are coming in. They would attack, and what they would do is they would muster an army. They would get, hey, call all the troops in. And all the troops would show up. They would look at the Philistine army, and then they would go run and hide. Quite, a, quite an effective army. At this point, the army is down to 600 men. Some of them have gone home because they're scared. Others have actually uh, gone and switched sides, and they're now with the Philistines. That's what's taking place here. And uh, Jonathan gets the bright idea. Hey, let's go over to them. And then he says, among Saul's men uh, was Ahijah, Ahijah, yeah, the priest who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, and son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Now, that right there, that seems like a lot of information that seems pointless, but it's actually really vital, and I, it's a whole other separate message. But I'll keep going, because context, we need, to have a connect, we need to have a connect group. It just talks about context. I think we might start that on Thursdays uh, on, when we launch connect groups uh, on July 12th. So just think about that one. Uh, so it's a little self-promotion. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, so we're getting a physical description of where he's at, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sena. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, those dirty, rotten, scoundrel Philistines. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will be with us. That's key. We're going to come back to that. Perhaps the Lord will be with us. Nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. And then the armor bearer said, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely. One translation says, I am with you heart and soul. I'm ready to go. Whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him. Well, we'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, uh, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. The worst strategic battle plan ever drafted. Not a great one. Like, this is... One, you might pick if you're doing airsoft, this might be okay, because if you die, you just go get, res you know, respawn yourself. This, no, you're dead. Not a good plan. It says, okay, when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. The Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over half an acre. <laughs> this is, okay, this needs to be made into a movie. If 300 can be made into a movie, this needs to be made 
into a movie. This, like, you, you gotta, like, I don't know that you're fully grasping it. So let me help you grasp the, the picture. It says that they're climbing with their hands and feet. So it means they're climbing up. They're not strolling up a little Tuscarawas County hill. These, we have, we're around here. I heard some the other day. go, yeah, over on that mountain. I'm like, in, in Tuscarawas County? There are no mountains in Tuscarawas County. There's hills. Okay. This is a cliff. One that takes hands and feet to climb up. They get to the top and they start to battle the Philistines. And there, here's a piece that you need to understand. There's only two swords in the entire Israel army. One is with Saul and one is with Jonathan. That means the armor bearer has no weapon. So they're fighting. And as Jonathan's fighting here, behind him it says that the armor bearer is killing them. So Jonathan wounds them. The armor bearer, bearer finishes him off. Not sure what he's finishing him off with. We don't know. Is it a club? Is it a pitchfork? We don't know. But he's finishing him off. This is R-rated movie. This is, I mean, this is a good, this is my Sunday afternoon movie. If this is, like, those of you that know me well, like, Sunday afternoons, it's like, I have to watch, like, there's something about a good, violent movie. Last Sunday uh, evening, Caleb and I watched 1917 great movie uh, uh, not not one I'd recommend for younger kids but great movie I, <laughs> this is this is a good violent R-rated movie there, here it is in the Bible so we, we they they're they're battling they're getting up across and here is where I want to I want to look at this message and I want to jump back and go hey what are some things that we can understand about a relationship and here's not just being in relationship, but I want to know, I, wanna, I want you to answer this question by the time we're done. Who's got your back? Who's got your back? Who's got your back? Now, this is important. This is it's so vital. And he, this is a scripture that I've used a lot. Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur on one another toward, the, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That word day, capitalized like that, means it's talking about the day, judgment day, the final day. So as you see the final day approaching, make sure you don't neglect this most important piece of your, this essential part of your life with Jesus Christ. It's, in, it's important that you have a relationship that spurs one another on towards love and good deeds. This, I don't know about you, but I look around, 2020 is like the definition. I mean, my wife jokingly said the other day, I think the uh, uh, level six of Jumanji has been opened up. We have winds, sandstorms coming in from the Sahara Desert. We've got COVID, we've got riots, we've got, like, we've kind of got it covered. There's, yeah, if there's been a time where I can go, hmm, this looks like we could be living in the end times. I don't have to work really hard at giving you examples of why we might be living in the end times. So is it important or is it essential that we have relationships in our lives? Yes. So what does, looking at Jonathan and his armor bearer, what are some things that we can learn that we need in our lives? So what do essential relationships have? Because relationships are good. These types of relationships is going to take you to the next level in your relationship with Jesus. One of them is essential relationships will challenge you immediately. This is one that makes us a little uncomfortable. 
But this is where Jonathan and his armor bearer are in a culture that was all about survival and hiding. Everybody else was either hiding with the army behind enemy, like behind the, the safety and in a safe area, or they were hiding in caves, or they were running home, or they had even joined the enemy. That was the culture that they were living in. But here's the thing. God never called us to look like our culture. I'm preparing a message series uh, that we're going to do after Jonah that is called, we're gonna, it's going to be the bridge to the new normal. And I'm going to slash out new. I'm going to add abnormal. Because I believe what we're going through is bringing us to an understanding that we're not supposed to look normal. We're called to be counterculture as followers of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be abnormal, and we need some relationships in our lives that will challenge us of what we're, how we're living our, our lives. We, 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 fitting in is not what we're called to. We're not called to live average. We're called to live supernatural lives. One of the things that it would do is a challenge. you need somebody who will challenge your perspective. Here's a diagram. I, I, I stole this from a book that I was reading this uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's called The, the Cone in the Cube dilemma. So here, here's what they, they show in this diagram is that if you have a cone inside of a cube and you create a peephole at the top, the person looking from the top is going to look down and see a, uh, a circle. But if you put a peephole in the side, the person looking from the side will see a triangle. And here's what will happen. The person on the side's going, it's a triangle in there. I know it for sure. It's a triangle. The look at person looking from the top is going, it's a circle. I know it is without a shadow of doubt. It has to be a circle inside there. And both of them believe they're completely right, and both of them are completely wrong. They are passionate about their right. And here's where you need somebody in your life to help you with your perspective. And this is what we're doing in our society, because in our society, here's what we do. Oh, you say it's a circle? No way. It is definitely a triangle, and I am offended that you even say it could be a, a, anything else than what I say it is. How dare you? What kind of life are you, what, what world are you living in? I see it this way, therefore it must be the way. And the other person's going, nope, it's this way. And we do this constant, boom, boom, boom. And we're battling over our perspective instead of going, hey, they might be right. A circle and a triangle. Maybe if we come together, we could fully understand that it's neither, but it's actually a cone. We need people in our lives that will challenge our perspective. This is, this is what, man, I'm frustrated looking at our world today. Because I see a generation right now that is the most passionate generation that has been around for a while. They are passionate about what they believe. They believe it with everything they have, and they will, they will stand up for it. They will shout it from the top. So the problem is they have no vision. We're not lacking a passion problem. We're lacking a vision problem. And we need to understand, those of us that are in an, in an older generation, saying, hey, I love your passion, but let me help you see, a, and lovingly, let me help you see a different perspective so that they can move forward in passion with a better understanding, a fuller picture of what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. So a, a, a 
an essential relationship will challenge you, and also an essential re relationship will stretch you. Jonathan goes to the, uh, to the armor bearer and goes, hey, let's go, let's go fight these guys. Perhaps, perhaps God will do something. Perhaps God will use our effort and we'll win. I mean, he, he's done different, bigger things than, than this in the past, so perhaps he'll do something here. Maybe you need somebody in your life who will stretch you spiritually. You know what that's called? It's called faith. Or you want a different term that's not so Christian, churchy? How about this? It's called risk. We, we read the Bible, and we, we think that the people in the Bible knew what the outcome was going to be. We read about Noah, and we go, oh, Noah built an ark because he was, it was going to rain, so he built an ark. Except for he built an ark for 75 years, and it didn't rain a drop in those 75 years. Do you think at some point Noah's going, oh boy, I spent a whole lot of money and wasted a whole bunch of time if this doesn't really happen? We read Moses, we think he went into Pharaoh's court and threw that stick down going, yep, it's going to be a snake. I wonder what he would have done if he would have thrown that down a snake on tonk, 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 tonk. That's supposed to be a snake. We, we, we view it from our perspective. Let's go to Peter. Peter's going to the temple. He's on his way to the temple, and he's like, there's a lame man there, and the lame man reaches out to him and asks for alms. And so Peter reaches down to him and says, hey, silver and gold have I none, but what I have for you, I'll give to you. And it says he reached down and grabbed the man by the hand. What if he had just dragged the guy through the temple? I can see the headline now. Apostle drags wounded, <laughs> lame man through temple. It was a risk. They stepped out into an unknown and said, I don't know how this is going to work. Jonathan is going, perhaps. You need somebody in your life that goes, hey, perhaps if you take a step in this direction. Have you thought about this? Would God maybe just honor your efforts in this area? Would you, if you just take that step with you, you need someone in your life who will call you out. And the third thing that uh, essential relationships will do, essential relationships will support you. Here's the armor bear. Jonathan comes up says, hey, let's go, let's go do this. I got an idea. We'll go over to the other camp. And the armor bearer goes, I'm with you, heart and soul. Da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. Sorry. This, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And I wonder if, if Jonathan was going, okay, I'll, I'll like, uh, come up with the subject and I'll, I'll bring it to him. And if he just goes, that's crazy, then we'll go, I'm off the hook. I won't have to actually do it. He goes, to, he goes up to him, and the armor goes, yep, let's do it. I'm with you. Whatever you decide, let's, let's go do it. You need some people around you that says, hey, I'm with you when you step out in faith. I'm going to be behind you. Perhaps God shows up. If he doesn't, I'm still with you. Now, if you need people around you, this means you need to evaluate the people that you have surrounding you. There might be some people that need to be removed. Even Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, he's on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus came to him and said, my daughter has died. But if you pray for her, you lay your hand on her, she could be healed. He's on his way. He gets to the door of, the, of Jairus' home. He turns around and there's a crowd with him. He says, you guys all stay here. Then he looks at nine of the 12 of his disciples. He says, you guys stay here too. Peter, James, and John, 
you come with me. Even Jesus needed to get rid of some negative Nancys. We need to remove those. Now, there's a difference between isolation and insulation. See, you, isolating yourselves pre prevents you from doing the supernatural that God has for you. But isolation allows you to bring the right people around you who are going to support you even when you fall. You need to look at and evaluate who is around you, who's there with you. It is important to have them around you. And this is, I can't even begin to describe or help you comprehend the value of the right people around you. Authentic church is authentic church not because of Josh McDonald. It is primarily what it is today because of Jolene McDonald. Amen. It is because she has been with me through this journey, and every time I begin to falter, we have, we have an ongoing joke. Like, it's like, it, it's crazy how God works. When I'm at my lowest, she's there picking me up. And when she's struggling, and she's like, man, I don't know if we, I got any more energy to do this, I'm there going, yeah, let's go. We, we're, we're the, this is, I can't think, this, I, I, there's like, I can't begin to no, name the dream teamers. There's dream teamers that have been here since day one. And this is happening because every day we have the right people around us and making this happen. This is who we're called to be. You need to surround yourself with the right people. And having the right people around you, they can support you with thinking with you. I, lo I love this. Jonathan goes, hey, let's go try this. And the, the armor bearer goes, perhaps, or he goes, yeah, we, we can do it. Let's go. And then they come up with a strategic plan. Now, it isn't the best strategic, military strategic plan, but they come up with a plan. They think together. This is, this is, you need this around you. You need people that are going to help you think. I'll never forget the, uh, I, I love taking some risk and enjoying some, like, stupid stuff, bungee jumping, uh, uh, skydiving, doing those risks, like, in the moment. Like, I don't need to do them again, but it was fun in the moment. But the, those things are always fun. And, I'll never forget being in Nicaragua, third world country. We're, I think, our second or third trip. And uh, we're, we're, uh, we spend one afternoon, uh, there's the ocean is, the Pacific Ocean is about 30 minutes from Lyon. So we drive over there and we take some of the kids from the village and we drive over and we set, uh, spend the afternoon at the beach. We get over there and it's, it's, it's amazing that it's black sand because it's volcanic around there. And then the waves are huge. I mean, they just, they'll knock you over. And I'm, I'm relaxing. It's my, Jolene and, uh, like, the, the mature uh, group of us are sitting uh, around some tables. And the kids are in the water. And all of a sudden, I see them all start to navigate down the beach. And I'm like, what's going on there? Jolene stands up and looks. She goes, they're going to jump off that rock. And sure enough, there's this big 20-foot, huge rock. That's in the ocean. And who, you know who's on the peak of that rock about to jump in? It's my son. My oldest son who has hemophilia. My wife goes into pure mom mode, pure panic mom mode. It's like, no, he can't do that. What, what, what hospital are we taking to? So I'm like, I got this, babe. I got this. So I go running down the beach. I'm like, I get that. Hey, don't jump. Don't jump. I get down. I'm like, don't jump. I walk into the water. I look to where he's going to swim, where he would jump in. I look around. I get out. I go up back up to the top. And I get on the peak of it and I go, 
if I come out alive, you can jump. I jump. See, we need people around us that are going to slow down. Like the old people among us, they're slow down and still. But I promise you, if you're not living your walk with God by jumping off a few rocks, you're missing out on what God has for you. Take some risk, but have the people around you who are going to help you think through how this will work. So the essential, you need essential relationships that will support you, that are with you, and this is what the growth track is all about. So July 26th, we're going to push back into our uh, full-on God willing. We're going to, July 26th is when we're going to get back to our growth track. 9 a.m. every Sunday, we're going to have growth track. But if you'd like to jump into the growth track now, we, you can get on your app and click on there, and we'll get you registered, and we'll get you through the growth track, because the value of the growth track is this. It helps you identify your passion and your purpose so that the church can come alongside you and help you in this area and support you. That's the role of the church. The fourth thing that a central relationship will do is the relationship, a central relationship will push you. Push you. It'll push you into the place that you, you need to be going. And again, we're supposed to be living supernaturally. This is where God's pushing us and where a support, a, a, a essential relationship will push you into the supernatural. You read the, the rest of that story. It says that uh, Jonathan and the armor bearer killed 20, and then the earthquake began to shake the ground. The Philistines went into full-on panic, running in all different directions. And it says that the, the, uh, the lookouts uh, and with Saul saw this going on, and then they, they, they mustered the army and said, let's go get them. And then the guys that were hiding in the caves go, hey, we've got them on the run, and they joined in. And the guys that had joined on the other side and joined the Philistines go, hey, wait a minute, we're on the losing side again. They flip back. And the supernatural began to take place because two men decided to have each other's back. What can happen if a church will be full of a bunch of followers of Jesus Christ ready to go all at it? Here's what's interesting. An armor bearer Many times we think as just a guy that's there as a, kind of a servant to carry this stuff. That's not the case here. We don't have the guy's name, but we know armor bearers aren't just servants helping out. There's another armor bearer that we know that was an armor bearer to Saul. His name was David. And in this historical context, an armor bearer would not just be carrying and just there for the, as a servant. He would be actually an apprentice being trained to be a warrior and a king. So whoever this person is, is there with the prince, learning how to operate as a prince. And when the princes of Israel lead, we will praise God. Are you ready? Are you ready to step into your role and to find somebody that's gonna have your back? You need to get in the connect group. You need to be joining the serve team. You need to be finding, not just on Sundays. This isn't the, the, the place. This is, the, this is where you begin. But then you find somebody who's going to go alongside you, going to fight with you, going to battle with you. Whatever it takes, we're going. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, I'm anointing upon this church. Lord, those that are hearing this message in this room and those that are hearing this message online, Lord, I pray that you would anoint them and help them in their relationship with, with you. 
that they will be able to find someone to come alongside. Let them strengthen those that are already in relationships. Let those relationships be secured. Let them find the place where they can go along and, and put the energy intentionally developing relationships to do the, allow the supernatural to take place. Lord, I give you all the glory in Jesus' name.